Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, national columnist for NBC Sports. And with me, as always, is uh, Michael Shore, executive producer for Parks and Recreation and uh, the Golden Globe winning Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. It was very exciting. That must have been really cool, right? That was like a cool thing. Yes, it was extremely cool and uh, very unexpected. And um, it, those things are a lot more fun when you win, it turns out. <laughs> Do you, did you at any point, you know, you're there with some of, you know, the biggest stars in the world and, and you're walking around. At any point at the end of the night, are you thinking and looking around at these incredible stars and thinking, I got one? I got one. That's it. They don't have one. I got one. No, because most of those people have one. First, <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, it's so it's such a, uh, a weird situation. It's one of the weirdest things I've ever been through. Frankly, is you because you go up on stage and then you're whisked into this backstage area where there's like 200 media outlets and they just bring you from room to room, and some of them are like on live TV you know, access Hollywood or E or, or, you know, something. And, and they're just like, how does it feel? And you're like, it feels great. And they go bye, And then you go to another booth. And it was, by the time we were done, I was so exhausted. There were all these, uh, you know, fancy schmancy parties and stuff. And I was with my wife and I was, it was like 10 45 and I was like, can we go home and go to sleep now? And so so that's what we did. We just kind of went home and like went to sleep. So it, I mean, it was extremely exciting, but it's also it's just very bizarre and strange and and uh, and fun, but um, exhausting. Is how that's, describe that's it. how an athlete feels, right? I mean, you were there in the middle of like that athlete thing at the Super Bowl, where you're just getting thrown from question to question to the point where you're like, I, I just want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's all I want at <laughs> this point. I, well, that's all I ever want. But yeah, it. <laughs> I, and I, I think that, I, you know, actors are much better in situations like that than writers are. Like Andy Samberg, uh, who also won for being an actor, he won two Golden Globes. Um, he he was so, like, effortlessly kind of charming and easygoing in all those interviews. And it's, you know, because actors spend their lives answering questions in front of cameras and stuff. So it became very clear to me that uh, in the sort of media scrum afterwards that, that he should talk and the other actors should talk like people would rather hear from Terry Crews or Andre Brower at that moment than they would hear from me. I don't have anything to offer them really. So uh, we sort of let the actors take over and that I think was a very wise decision. All you wanted was the hardware, right? That's all that matters. It's, it's, it's all about the trophy. Be honest. Well, the funny thing was, is my son asked me if I was going to win a trophy. Um, he recently won his first karate trophy, which is like, you know, a participation trophy. And he asked me if I was going to win a trophy. And I said, I don't know. There's a group of people and they're going to decide who they want to give trophies to. And maybe I'll win and maybe I won't. And then I came home the next day and he said, where's your trophy? And the the thing is, they don't give them to you right away. They like mail them to you, you know, a month later. And I was like, well, I, I won a trophy, but I don't have it. And he's just very skeptical. Like <laughs> he does not believe me because I didn't have it to show him. But Amy Poehler did a really cute thing, which is her son um was said you know said her his prayers before he went to sleep that she would win and she's never won a, an award which is truly nuts. nuts she was like over 23 or something crazy and so she came home and obviously he was asleep and she put it uh so he said his prayers before he went to sleep that that she was going to win and then when she got home she put it in his bedroom so when he woke up he was like yes i did it i did it <laughs> and he was so excited he felt like he had somehow engendered the trophy into existence which is so cute that is awesome that is so awesome <laughs> all right so we're gonna uh we're gonna have our our uh our usual podcast here we're gonna have our uh faux argument we have a uh, draft coming up which i think is you know honestly kind of obvious i think it's the draft everybody knows we're gonna do yeah um but i have a question for you and and, and not to we've already kind of talked a little bit about about this but it's, it's kind of a craft question i wanted to ask you so I was I was watching this week um, the Jerry Seinfeld uh, comedian in cars getting coffee. Yeah, uh, which is great. If, if you haven't seen it, um, stop listening to this and go do that. <laughs> um, it's awesome. It's just you know he. It's exactly what it is. What what it says it is. And he was on there with Pat Oswalt, who I know you know and and yes. uh, is genius and all that. They were talking about baseball, and Pat Oswalt started saying. Uh, something about how much he loved when the manager goes to the mound to get out the pitcher. 
Did you see this, by the way? I this haven't is... seen that one yet, no. Okay, it's it's great. So he goes, he's, he's talking about how the manager goes out to get the picture, and he loves it because of the drama, and it's like a little silent movie playing for you. And, and, and Jerry Seinfeld says, and don't forget the thing about the ball. And, and Pat Oswalt kind of looked at him a little bit curiously, and Seinfeld goes, you know, when the manager goes and he gets the ball from the pitcher, like it's the only ball. That was... <laughs> That was the Seinfeld line, like it's the only ball. And when I heard that line, I thought that that's per- that line is literally perfect. Yeah. It's literally the perfect line. So that that was actually my question to you. I was just curious. It was the first thing that came to my mind. Do you ever have that feeling where you have either written something or you're in a group with, with your collaborators and a line comes up and, and you just kind of stop and go, perfect. That line is absolutely perfect. It's uh, it's. It's a rare occurrence, but there are moments as a writer when you write something and you're like, yep, that's the best thing that I could have written. <laughs> like, that's the best thing that person could say at that moment. It's extremely rare. It's usually the result of a lot of input from a lot of people and a lot of trial and error and writing a thousand lines that are terrible. But, um, you know, David Foster Wallace used to refer to prose that he read that he just really loved as you could almost hear like a clicking sound in your head. Mm, mm-hmm. Like that it was so, it was so perfect and crisp that it like clicked. You could hear like an audible click. And there are times when, when I have felt that, I mean, many times when I wasn't the person who wrote the line, Dan Gore, who created Brooklyn nine, nine with me, wrote a joke for Ron Swanson on parks and rec a few years ago, where he was talking about how uh, his favorite uh, restaurant in, in the town of Pawnee, Indiana was the, was the place in the, in the local bowling alley that served hamburgers and hot dogs. Right. And someone said to Ron Swanson, really, aren't you scared to eat there? And Ron Swanson said, when I eat, it is the food that is scared. <laughs> and when Dan wrote that line, I was like, yeah, that's the best. That's the best thing he can say. There's no, you, we could search for 500 years and we wouldn't find a funnier or more appropriate joke for that character in that situation. So it does happen. It's just, I, it's actually made more exciting because comedy, especially writing, is about, is about writing a million terrible things before you find one that's good. So when someone writes a joke like that or writes a line like that, like it, it's like the whole world stops for a second and, and everything is crystal clear and things are in really sharp focus. And you, it's, like, <laughs> it's like you're Neo at the end of The Matrix when he suddenly has like figured out the matrix, like that's how it feels. And it's incredibly fleeting and it's gone one second later when you write a terrible joke, <laughs> but it is, it is very, very exciting when that does happen. Yeah. I, I figured, I mean, I've never felt it, of course ever and never will, but, um, <laughs> but no, I was sitting there thinking that when, when Seinfeld said that it was, it's clearly like the 10,000 funniest thing he's ever thought in his life. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was just in conversation and he said it, and I thought to myself, that was my first thought was, what does that feel like to, to, to just say it perfectly? And then secondly, that I will never write a line that funny in my entire life. That's it. I mean, I, it, and I'm not depressed by that because yeah. they still, they still pay me, but, um, <laughs> but, but it's true. I mean, it's, 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 that had to be, has to be such a cool feeling. Seth, All right. Seth Meyers used to describe it as um, when you have a joke that good and you're performing the joke, it's like from the other side of performing instead of writing. He said, when you know that you have a joke that good and you get to actually say it on TV, he described it as feeling like you hit a, you're, you're at the plate and a fastball is grooved like waist high, you know, up or out over the plate and you hit it and you know, it's gone. And it, it, as soon as it leaves your bat and you don't even watch the ball, you just drop your bat and lower your head and start jogging around the bases. And you never even check to see, cause you know, you're so sure it's flying, you know, 80 feet over the fence. And that's like a pretty good analogy, I think. It's like, that yeah, is, that's a, yeah, that's pretty awesome. I've seen Jose Guillen do that though, and the ball land about ten feet short of the fence. <laughs> um, I'm sure there are comedians that do that as well, though. So, yeah. Um, okay, so let's go to our faux argument, uh, which this week is obviously about a Rod. Uh, as everybody listening knows, uh, Alex Rodriguez uh, was suspended uh, last year by Bud Selig. He appealed the decision and went to arbitration, and then this week. The arbitrator um, gave him 162 games the full season. He is banned um, from the game, and of course, he is fighting and and going to try to take everybody to court and embarrass everybody and yep. humiliate the, the union and everything else. So, but the question is, and this is this is our full argument question: 
was Alex Rodriguez treated fairly by baseball? Well, this is one of those really wonderful and very rare situations where everyone involved looks terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's very rare that you, that it's hard to pick a side because of how, how deeply awful everyone has behaved. Like, no one looks good. Baseball blew this a number of different ways. They, they first of all, did everything publicly, which is never a good idea. They, they're supposed to be the grown-ups here, and they made their argument very publicly through the press, through, like, ambushing his lawyer on, on the Today Show. Uh, you know, also, the original punishment of 211 games seemed so <laughs> arbitrary and vindictive. I mean, it was the number of games left from last year plus a full season this year, but the number 211 is the funniest possible. It's like a toddler <laughs> just saying, like, 211 games. You know, it's so crazy. And basically, like, they, the, the really frustrating thing about this for me from baseball's point of view is, you know – they had no rules, essentially no rules, for a really long time. There was no book on how to deal with this stuff. Then they wrote a book. Then they were like, okay, here's the book. It's 50 games for a first offense and 100 games for a second offense and blah, blah, blah. They actually established a book. And then they just threw the book out the window. Like Then they, didn't, then they did this, the most high-profile case. They completely just disregarded their own rules. And it made Bud Selig seem like just a kind of desperate guy who was trying to be super tough and crack down on someone after decades of what amounted to benign neglect. So their, their whole like methodology here is just incredibly to me, embarrassing and kind of vindictive and weird and sad. And then a rod obviously blew it by lying a million times (laughs) and also clearly doing a lot of illegal stuff and then hiring Joe Tacopina, who's the worst, just the worst. Like, <laughs> I I imagine that when all the other lawyers get together at lawyer conferences, if Joe Tacopina is there, all the other lawyers are like, that guy's kind of sleazy. Like, <laughs> like, I don't like that guy. I mean, he defended Joran Vandersloot. Like, he's just, he's very, very sleazy and slimy. And he's just tossing grenades around and suing this person and yelling about this and comparing comparing it to the Salem witch trials, which is a little extreme. And it's like, they basically, like, I've, it's, I've never seen a situation where both sides, it's like they're in a race to get off of the high ground. Like, they're both, like, rushing off of the moral high ground as fast as they can. And so it's, it's like, it's very hard to determine whether he was treated fairly or unfairly because everybody involved has just been terrible. <laughs> So the answer is I don't know. Yeah, you know it's it's funny as as we as we once again agree uh, entirely. Um, I have a friend who said to me, you know, I know for a fact that A Rod has been treated unfairly, and I don't care. I mean, that was literally, <laughs> and, I, and to me, that's that sums it up. That totally sums up the entire thing. By the way, his lawyer is like. That Saturday Night Live character, right? The one that's like, I'm not nervous, you're nervous. Yeah, that guy, he is is that guy. Um, Baseball has, in my mind, that 60 Minutes report this last week was such an embarrassment for baseball. And and it was clearly, if not driven by baseball, certainly acknowledged and, and, uh, and approved by baseball. They went on TV, you know, Bud Selig, and... It, you know, it was like such a – the whole thing was awful. I mean, it, it basically – one thing that I cannot stand about the way steroids are covered is that we glorify them all the time. Even in our, like, most negative coverage of steroids, we glorify them by saying how amazing they are and how many – they let you hit a million home runs and, and they're fantastic in – they're almost undetectable. I mean, it's like – it is a complete advertisement for steroids every single time anybody – goes around and, and rips it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, if you basically, if you put the side effects in these stories, it would be that advertisement. You know, if it would, if you would just say steroids are illegal and, and, and they're bad for you, um, but they will let you hit a lot of home runs and, um, and they're really, you're not going to get caught unless you're an idiot. That's, that is the Viagra commercial, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly the same commercial. Um, so, so frustrating. But, but even more to the point, they go through this whole just embarrassing report. And then 
the kicker line is about how, you know, Bud Selix is about to resign, uh, retire, and part of his legacy will be instilling the toughest, um, you know, uh, whatever, toughest program against steroids and against PEDs. And I, that, when I heard that line, I mean, I just wanted to throw up. I absolutely <laughs> wanted to throw up. I, it's, it's so bad the way baseball has handled this. And yet, on the other hand, nobody likes A-Rod. Nobody. I mean, even his lawyer doesn't like him. And when nobody likes a guy, you, you, you don't need moderation. You know, I mean, it's like people, there's going to be nobody there on the other side to defend the guy. There's going to be nobody on the other side to just go, hey, wait a minute. You know, this is, this seems a little extreme. I mean, there are a few people on the internet doing that, but essentially people that matter, like that are out in, in public, whether it's big media, whether it's uh, baseball, whether it's the players union, whether it's anybody, nobody likes A-Rod enough to, to stand up and say, this is, this is unfair. And so... It might be unfair, but don't care. I mean, that's that's just basically what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, here's my real question about this whole thing is, like, to what end is he fighting this? I don't still? know. Like, the, the damage is very, very clearly done. There's a lot of guys like Mark McGuire and Raphael Palmiro and Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds who should be in the Hall of Fame and, now, and aren't and are getting, you know, 20% of the vote or whatever – and they may never get into the Hall of Fame, or at least until like the Veterans Committee has the chance to put the man into this whole kind of fake, you know, t- school marmy fervor has kind of died <laughs> down. Um, and so, in terms of like his near future legacy, the guy's done. There's right. no way he gets it back. So why do this? Like, there is no scenario where he, you know, is a, is. Right now, if he waged a huge legal battle and got the suspension completely overturned and was out there at third base on opening day, it doesn't matter. Like, he's, right. he's done. He's not going to, like, when he retires, he's not going to get into the Hall of Fame. He's not going to get anywhere close to being in the Hall of Fame, the way that the kind of weird sort of moral uh, pearl-clutching thing is happening in the in the BBWAA right now. So why do this? Like, what does he have to gain in your mind from from fighting this the way he's fighting it? Well, I, I would ask. I would ask the question: Is a Rod? Um, is he a guy that absolutely has any sense of reality? I mean, I really would. Under, I would really ask that question. There's a great story in Sports Illustrated this week by uh, Scott Price, S.L. Price, um, about Richard Ben Kramer, who's the the great writer who wrote about uh, DiMaggio and what it takes about the presidential election '88. Uh, who was a, f- a friend of mine, a uh, brilliant, brilliant writer who tried to take on the A-Rod story and failed. Uh, and, and Richard died about a year ago. And, uh, but, but before he died, uh, he basically gave up on this A-Rod book. He'd gotten a big advance and he'd spoken to A-Rod 20 times and, or more and, and knew his family and, and was in, but the guy was such a just vacuous, nothing that he just couldn't write the book. He was just like, this is this, I can't do it. I can't write this book. And I just wonder if A-Rod even, has like the capacity to understand that it's over. You know, if he even, there's a, is there a part of A-Rod that still at some point thinks, you know, if I could just make baseball look bad enough, people will start liking me again. I, I just, it, it's hard to imagine. I guess the bigger question is, will he ever play again? Do you think he'll ever play in the major leagues again? Yeah, I think he'll play again. I mean, yeah. he's, you know, in a weird way, to, like, taking a year off from the kind of physical toll he's 38 he's turning 39 this summer and so it's not like he's gonna suddenly come back and be like a you know a a spring chicken but um I think he will play again I think the one thing that I feel like I actually know is that he really loves playing baseball (laughs) I think he really loves it and the only thing that I can think of about why he's fighting this is because he just wants to play like the one thing that he truly understands at any fundamental level is how to play baseball. He's really good at it. He's been really good at it since he was probably five. (laughs) He was really, really, really good at it when he was 18. He was the best in the world for, you know, a span of seven years or something in his prime. So I think that it, it probably, his head is spinning so hard. And, you know, this is what happens when, uh, when a an organization essentially has no rules for something or turns a, a a blind eye to something for a really long time and then all of a sudden decides that it's the biggest problem in the world and they have to crack down super hard 
Like, I'm sure there's an element of this where he and a lot of his brethren are thinking like, but you guys didn't care about this. Like, no one cared. The media didn't care, and baseball didn't care, and our managers and general managers didn't care. And then all of a sudden, they started caring super hard. That is probably a little bit frustrating, I would imagine, for these guys. Like, they, it was a culture that just did acted in a certain way for a really long time, and then suddenly were told that they what they were doing was the worst thing in the world, and they they are all terrible people. That's not good. That's not a good way to function as an organization or as a collective, you know, group of organizations. And so I think that probably what he's clinging to at some level is like, hey, I can I can hit baseballs and I can throw them and I can field them. And I like being in clubhouses and I like the smell of the grass and I like batting practice and I like shagging flies. And that's all I've got at this point. So at some level, probably why he's fighting is just so he can go play again and try to, you know, play out a one or two more years before his body completely breaks down. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Were you bothered in any way when Tony La Russa got uh, inducted, elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame unanimously? Did that bother you in any way? Well, yeah. I mean, it bothers me. Obviously, the guy's a great manager. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, blah, blah, blah. But like part of the, you know, Deadspin wrote a big piece. I think Tommy Craggs wrote a piece about this for Deadspin or someone did. I can't remember about just what a, they used a word that probably shouldn't be repeated on this uh, <laughs> podcast, but um, to, to refer to the entire situation. But part of, uh, obviously, a huge part of the problem is that no blame goes anywhere but the players in terms of these kind of peripheral things like Hall of Fame voting. Like, no one, no one takes any part of it out on managers. No, and, you know, Larusa during the height of the Maguire thing, LaRusso was brutal to to the journalists who started asking questions about creatine and stuff like that. Like he was, you know, banning them from the clubhouse and screaming at them and publicly calling them out and all that sort of stuff. And like, you know, it's pretty likely that he knew that McGuire was doing some <laughs> some PEDs and stuff. So it's kind of like, well, that guy maybe. I mean, if you're going to be super moralistic about about the players, don't you kind of have to be a little bit moralistic about the managers? It's just. It's such a mess. It's such a complete mess. And I, and that, yeah, it, there's, I mean, I'm not upset that Tony Lewis is in the Hall of Fame. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. But it bothers me that people who are really worked up about this on a moral or ethical level are only directing at the players and not at executives and not at Bud Selig and not at the, I mean, I guess some of them are directing it towards Bud Selig. But it was never a question that LaRusso would be inducted to the Hall of Fame. And, you know, you can make an argument right now that the greatest pitcher of all time and the greatest hitter of all time are not in the Hall of Fame. And, like, 15 other of the best players of all time are not going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame for a reason that doesn't seem to rub off or to bleed over onto the, to the people who managed them and, like, watched all this stuff happen. There's something wrong with that. It's weird because I just had this – I just had kind of a pseudo-argument, I guess, with uh, with Ken, Brian Kenny. I was on, on his show and – we were talking, and, and Brian and I do not see we we do not see the steroid issue the same way. He is he does not believe steroid users should go to the Hall of Fame even before testing. Uh, and of course, I do, and I've written million stories about it, whatever. But suddenly, we talked about Larusa, and like instantly, our position swapped. And now, I think Tony Larusa should be in the Hall of Fame, just like you do. Um, I, I I have no issue with it whatsoever, but. I asked him that question. Well, doesn't it bother you at all? You're such a steroid guy, uh, anti-steroid guy. Doesn't it bother you? And he's like, no, no. What could Tony Larusa have done? What, what, what could he have done? And I'm just like, you're joking, right? I mean, I'm like, how could you turn off that that moral stance that quickly? I mean, he was the manager of the team. He could have done something. And he's like, let me ask you this: If a manager now knows that a player is using steroids, um, should it, does he have a responsibility to stop that player? And I'm like, of course he does. I, that's, I, I don't even see how that's even an argument. I mean, if if you know that your star player is using steroids um, and you know what it'll mean to you, to the organization, to baseball, if he's caught, you have a you absolutely have a responsibility to stop him. And But he didn't see it that way at all. And I guess that's where I find it strange. I find... Look, if you want to be super moral about steroids, be super moral across the board. I don't I don't understand where that line gets drawn, you know? Yeah, it should also be noted that recently Brian Kenny said that there were 10 there, that G, Derek Jeter is one of the 10 best shortstops in baseball today. Didn't did, he? You, did, did you see his list of uh, top 25 quarterbacks? 
Um, I don't. It, I heard the list was a couple years old, so I, I hope so. But Tom Brady was like number fifteen, <laughs> and and Joe Namath was like ahead of him or or like right above, right with him or something. I mean, it was. I looked at that list and I'm like, man, Brian, I've kind of stood up for you a little bit. You know, you gotta you gotta bring something to the table in order to keep having people like stay with you on these I, things. I really like Brian Kenny, but that that Derek Jeter is one of the <laughs> stuff thing was amazing. I was what's happening? Are you okay, man? Is everything okay? There's, is your left arm numb? <laughs> I actually he put that on Twitter that that Derek Jeter was one of the top that he he might be crazy but he has Derek Jeter as one of the top ten shortstops and I literally tweeted him back saying really who doesn't think Derek Jeter is one of the ten greatest shortstops of all time of course he is and and he's like oh now you mean now yeah oh, you're no. you're insane yeah you're you're completely nuts <laughs> all right so let's go to our draft it's time for the draft and. Uh, I'll let you explain the draft uh, this week. Well, this this podcast is obviously mostly centered around sports and issues in sports. So, you know, it, it makes sense. Uh, we, we decided to just, you know, kind of run right at that. Yeah, I think uh, so. And, and do something that we thought everybody who is a regular listener of the, of the podcast would want to hear. And that's why we've decided to draft abstract concepts. Abstract concepts. That is... <laughs> What else? What else? I, I don't even know what else we could draft this week. No, frankly. it makes the most sense. I think it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the thing to do. So uh, I got the first pick last week. So you are uh, you are up for the first pick in abstract concepts. All right. For the first with the first overall pick in the 2004 podcast <laughs> abstract concept draft. I am taking the meaning of life. Meaning of life. <laughs> I I don't. That's a good one. I mean, yeah. that's. I think well, it, it's obvious. It's the ultimate question, right? It's like it's the ultimate thing that plagues all of humanity. Whether there's a meaning of life, what is the meaning of life? It's kind of the ultimate question. And I feel like the reason it's the number one pick, and and Mel Kiper had it, I think, is number one on his big board. The reason it's the number one pick to me is that if it could be proved one way or another, then everything would change. Like it, <laughs> if it could be proved that there is a meaning to life or what that meaning is, everyone would alter their behavior and the way that they move around the world different, uh, at some level. I'm not sure how, but it's like it, the idea, and the idea that there might be a meaning of life is basically the only reason we just don't all like run around and bonk each other on the head and just run <laughs> wild in the streets at some fundamental level. It's the reason that we like act like, like we don't just like kill each other and, and, and steal each other's stuff. It's because there's some some sense that what we're doing has meaning or purpose. Uh, so I, it, it, to me, it's like it's the umbrella question. It's the umbrella issue. It's also, I think, the second best Monty Python movie. Either the first, <laughs> either the best or the second best. Which is, I think it's second best, right? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously like a tangential. That's like a side <laughs> reason. That's a little bit like a, getting a good Wonderlick score for a sure. quarterback or something. Sure, but it does. But it adds to the equation. That's why I, I'm taking meaning of life number one. Meaning of life is is a very very strong abstract concept. I, it's I think it was obvious. It did not perform well at the combine, but. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's still the obvious number one overall pick. The great thing about the meaning of life is a- any of us could get it right. I mean, we don't. I mean, it's yeah. it's not like you don't have to be like the the smartest people who ever lived um, didn't get it. Did not get it. They yeah. did not not make it less abstract. So mm-hmm. so very very strong, very strong first pick. But um, but I'm gonna I, I've got my number one overall still on the board because uh, I'm going with humor as my uh, over my number one pick in abstract concepts. Um, and the thing I love about humor is um, everybody really believes that their humor, their, their sense of humor is correct. It is the only sense of humor and other people's sense of humor is wrong. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, some people you, you match up with them and you're like, well, eh, we see some of the same things as funny, or we think of some of the same things as funny, but in general, what you do, what 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 many people try to do is, you're just going for like, not even a majority. You're just going for like a large group of people to sort of agree with what humor is. Yeah. Because you know, you just know that if there are a thousand people in the room, and you say something that 240 of them find funny, like there are a hundred people who not only don't find that funny, they hate it. They just think it's like the worst thing they've ever heard in their entire life. And they think that whoever said it is a complete waste of time. So I think humor is, uh, it's, it's, it's 
um, not only is it abstract, but it is so individualistic and, uh, and everybody, everybody, uh, buys in every single person. There are some people that don't think about the meaning of life, but everybody thinks about humor. Well, it's, it's maddeningly slippery. And, you know, I've always said this, there are very few people who would say that, for example, uh, the Godfather or Schindler's List aren't dramatic. Very few people would say like, those just aren't dramatic. I don't find anything dramatic about that. But the greatest comedies of all time, there are as many, if not more people who will flat out tell you, like you said, oh, that's not funny. They're very confidently like, no, that's not funny. I don't find that. I don't find Will Ferrell funny. I don't find, uh, you know, uh, Jim Carrey funny. I don't find whoever funny. Like, and very, like, like you said, extremely confidently. Like, it's not like, well, eh, it's sort of like, oh, that guy's not funny. You know, which is <laughs> that's very crazy that that's true. But it, that's what, why it's an interesting thing. It's a, so slippery a concept. It is slippery. You know, you and I, we've we've done our, uh, you know, funniest people in the world at any given time list where we've yeah. gone through the years and done that. And whoever that funniest person is, like, right now, probably Will Ferrell. Say it's Will Ferrell. Sure. Um, there are people that hate Will Ferrell. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, just hate him. Just think, oh, my, that guy just drives me insane. He's, like, could not be less funny. And other than uh, characters on your show, nobody thinks, like, Morgan Freeman doesn't have a good voice. Right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? Nobody thinks, like, oh, well, I, you know, I just don't find, uh, you know, I just don't find... Uh, John Kennedy, a compelling speaker. I mean, yeah. it's like there are things that there is there is mass agreement on, and there are things that not only is there disagreement on, but it's just violent disagreement. Yeah. And humor, it should be that way. It's supposed to be fun, but it's uh, it, it it definitely remains uh, our most abstract quality, in my opinion. I'm look. I I've made a career in that field. I'm going to say that I think it's a reach at number one. Oh oh. I think it might be a reach. It's a little bit of a of a risk. I think you could have gotten humor later in the in the in the first round. You could have probably waited till the third pick to take humor. I'm just saying. Okay. Well, that's you know we'll we'll see how it plays out at the end. All right. For my second pick, I'm going with love. Love. Uh, you know, obviously a massive idea. It uh, the the a generator of the best art, the best songs, the best books. It's probably the best feeling you can have in your life to love something or someone. And it's also uh, talk about like slippery. This is the most maddening and slippery and elusive thing that exists on earth. It's like a thing everyone or most people are searching for. It's a thing that you sometimes think you feel, but you don't. It's a thing you can be tricked into feeling. It's a thing you can, that can break your heart and make you miserable it's the it's it's both its positive and negative aspects have led to incredible art and music and books and songs and everything else. It's like it's such a big idea and it's such a uh, oh that's such a like a, a fundamental part of human existence. It seems like I'm I'm frankly amazed that it's still on the board at number two. It's it was it was definitely I was it was really a tough call for me. Um, I guess my question for you is this: Do you like love songs? Yeah. Okay, like what? What would be like a great love song for you? Well, I mean, most of the Beatles songs are about love at some level. Okay. Uh, many of them are. I mean, every almost every song is about love. I mean, like <laughs> yesterday is about love, right? I mean, every every almost it's like half of the songs that have ever been written are about love at some level. Yeah, the wall is not about love. No, nah, the wall is not about love. No, that's correct. Okay, so but my question is: so you have all of these love songs, and I agree with you. There's a there's a vast, vast number of, of love songs. And in my opinion, I mean, there are great love songs, but many, many of the love songs are terrible. They're yeah, just, but that's they're... not love's fault. That's the hardest. <laughs> it's, it's not, you can't blame, don't blame I'm blaming love for no, that. I, I'm blaming love blaming. for love songs. No, see, uh, to me, I would, I would counter-argue that, <laughs> that, that the reason that so many of them are bad is because the idea is so huge and overwhelming that everyone on earth great artists and bad artists alike are thinking about it all the time and you can't blame the concept of love for crummy love songs that's crazy i mean even (laughs) paul mccartney wrote wrote yesterday and he also wrote like 500 terrible love songs that doesn't mean that there's a problem with love that means that paul mccartney was a better songwriter when he was working with the beatles than he was with wings (laughs) somebody knocking on the door is that a love song uh yeah you know yeah (laughs) 
probably. All right, that, just that bring. You know what? Broken Wings is a love song. Love <laughs> brought that song into the world. Love cannot be the number two. Pick. You're blame, you can't blame Love for that for for Mister Mister. That's insane. I am blaming Love for Mister Mister. I I just I'm just saying that I had it on the board at number one uh, for my number one pick, and I said humor is better. Sorry, humor humor is better, but right. but that's okay. It's it's a good pick. I actually have a similar pick for number two because my number two pick is beauty. Um, and beauty, of course, is not only is it a, an abstract concept when it comes to people, but it's obviously an abstract concept when it comes to the entire world as we, as we look at it. Beauty, truth, truth, beauty, that whole thing. Um, but I, the thing I think about beauty is that it's – I see it with my, with my daughters. I see – them trying to still figure it out what it is you know it's like when you're when you're young it's like anything really like bright neon colors are beautiful you know and, sure. and you just have like kind of a just just whatever overflows the sentence you know the, the senses is beauty to to like a three-year-old or a five-year-old or something but as they get older they start kind of figuring it out i mean they start thinking about well what is beauty and you know they watch different uh, movies or they read different books and they see, okay, well, somebody's kind of handsome or, or, or pretty, but they, they're not beautiful on the inside. And they kind of start figuring that whole thing out. And you, you grow as, as, as time goes on. And to me, your idea of beauty never stops developing. I mean, obviously your idea of love does as well, uh, continues to grow with you as you get older, but beauty in particular, your idea of what beauty is when you are five when you are 10 when you are 20 when you are 50 when you are 100 i assume um changes it just completely develops as you go get older and uh, so i'm going with beauty as my number two pick that's it, a great call it's a really good pick because i remember when i was uh when i was probably 10 i was on a vacation and i went into some kind of crummy like you know a tourist trappy uh vacation -y spot to like get a my mom was like you can get a toy and uh, and I was like going to get some crummy T-shirt or something. And then I saw a skeleton clock, like a small skeleton clock that had, you know, the kind where it's a glass dome and you can see all the gears and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I was just completely like captivated by it. And I remember thinking, that's beautiful. And it was the first time that the idea of beauty was like applied to something other than, you know, a flower or a cloud <laughs> or something, you know, and uh, it, it was exactly that thing. It was like, I, there was you, it's a, it's a concept that evolves as you age and you find different things and objects and situations. Beautiful. Like it's a great, that's a great pick. That's a steal. I think you may have your draft has just gotten stronger. Because I, think <laughs> it, I think you reached a number one, but you got to steal a number two. Steal at number two with beauty. Yeah. All okay. right. So I'm, I'm going to go a little, uh, this is, might be a, a little bit of a, uh, no, this is a Belichick pick at number three for me. Is I'm going with evil. Ooh, yeah. So evil again. It's one of those things that where like it's very hard to define. It's kind of you. Yeah, you know it when you see it, kind of thing. But there's like there's like there's big picture evil. You know, there's dictators and 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 wars being waged and stuff. But then there's like there's there's micro uh, evil just on a day-to-day -day basis of just the ways that people behave or treat each other. And there's, and it's like a, it's like a, a mysterious, it's the reason that like the dark side of the force in star Wars <laughs> resonates. It's because the, what they're talking about is evil and it's about anger and fear and, and rage and jealousy and envy and all this stuff. All of those sort of negative characteristics are what like comprise this sort of larger thing of evil and it's a very, very powerful, again, leads to great art, which is a big part of this for me. Uh, it's, it's a big idea. And I also, I'm kind of excited about this because I feel like I take evil in the third round and then I bench him. I never play him. <laughs> and then I can rid the world of evil just by sitting him on the bench and just never letting him in into the game. Very strong, very strong choice. Yeah. If you if you if you bench evil, that would be a, that would be that would be a very very strong I'm pick. Evil, his unconditional release. <laughs> what's going to happen? The world will be perfect. Would the would the world be perfect without evil? I mean, I think that's that's, that's your that's question. your big question. It's you're it's, only you're only strengthening my argument for taking evil at number three. I, I think it's a good pick. I mean, it's and it's a and it's a gutsy pick because your fans are not going to like it. I mean, let's be <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, you're you know you want to talk about clubhouse chemistry. 
evil and love in the same clubhouse for yeah, I know. Well, I'm hoping that love like rubs off on evil a little bit. You know, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. <laughs> here's my here's here's the question I follow up with on evil: Is the dark side in Star Wars actually stronger than the than the than the light side? Well, the prophecy was always that someone would bring balance to the Force, and I've always read that as they're kind of necessary. It's yin yang, right? They're necessary. They both need the other to exist, and it's about sort of balancing the level. I think it, there are times when the Sith kind of becomes more powerful, and that's when the world is out of whack. That's what the situation is at the beginning of Episode Four, and by the end, I think that Luke has brought balance to the Force and 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 restored her. But I think that you, you're right when you say that you need you they 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 uh, good and evil need each other to uh, to exist. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a very very uh, it's a it's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. But but it, but a gutsy pick for you at number three. Um, my number three pick is uh, faith. I'm going with faith with my number three pick. And and you know faith is another thing um, that and I'm and by faith I do not necessarily mean religious faith. I just mean faith in things. That we don't understand. Right. I feel like that is, in many ways, that is sort of what drives us on a day-to-day basis. I mean, because we really don't understand a lot more than we do understand, even as advanced as we've become. Um, we just have to, everything would completely fall apart without some level of faith. And, and whether it's the most basic faith in the world, which is the faith that you're going to wake up in the morning and your car is going to start, and you're going to get to work and you're going to kind of keep going. I mean, that's that kind of faith just sort of is like a humming kind of thing that keeps going. But then there's just this level of faith in something, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a faith in people that they're going to do the right thing, whether it's faith in your friends that they are going to be there for you when you need them, whether it's faith in, in uh, whether it's faith in God, whether it's faith in religion. Um, there's just so many levels of faith that to me, super strong and probably counter to to almost every other uh, being on Earth, uh, I don't think that that squirrels necessarily have faith. Um, I don't know that that uh, squirrels around my neighborhood no faith. I can tell you that right yeah. now. Um, so I, I think it's what makes us human. It's part of what part of what keeps us going. And uh, honestly, I got to be honest with you, can't believe it was there at the third round. I just <laughs> I. I mean, you know, that was one that uh, I looked at and I went, it's a top two pick for sure. But yeah, no, it's a great call. I mean, here's the thing, though. Faith is like the third best George Michael song. <laughs> and for my fourth pick, I'm taking the best George Michael song, which is Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, freedom is, it's like most of the great societal and individual struggles since society became a thing we're based on freedom. We're based on the idea, the fundamental idea that people shouldn't be ruled or told what to do at a, at, at like a level where they couldn't move around the world and exist as humans without interference from an outside organization or government or something. It's a huge and basic idea. There's a reason that like Braveheart screams freedom at the end of the movie when he's being tortured instead of just, you know, like ouch or something, <laughs> which is what, which is what I would have screamed. But, uh, yeah, I, it's it's like the it's such a basic idea that has been since since humans evolved and became people who organize themselves into societies, they have been concerned with freedom, with a fundamental idea that they shouldn't be ruled or enslaved, and uh, and so you know I hate to I hate to pull the George Michael card on you, but I think <laughs> I got the better George Michael song abstract concept. Yeah, well, but if we were going with just George Michael songs, really. Um, We'd be out at this point, right? I mean, there's, there's. It would be there... awesome if, if for your fourth pick, you chose "Careless Whisper." <laughs> <laughs> I was actually considering that. So, so by the way, so for freedom, uh, where where is where is your line drawn on freedom? Where, where everybody has their where they they draw the line on where freedom ends. Where for you does freedom end? Well, I it's a great question. That's why it's such an interesting idea. I think that's a, the idea of natural laws, right? It's like. There's a, it's a kind of a, a, a general sense that every that's like deep, that's like ingrained that you should be free from tyranny right. at some level, but there's not really an easy way to define what that means. And obviously, in the current day, some people feel that like a national healthcare program run by the government is impinging on their freedom, 
I don't particularly hold that point of view. I hold the point of view that like freedom means that someone is basically telling me I can't like travel from uh, California to Oregon, you know, or something like they're pointing a weapon at me and telling me I can't leave my house or that I can't do something or, you know, it's uh, people define it in different ways, but everyone at some level is concerned with it. It's the nature of every political battle that's being waged in this country and in most other countries. And it's just, it's a very, it's a tough thing to define and different people see it in different ways. That's why it's so interesting. It is interesting. It's a, it's a very, very good choice about, uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that at, at number four. Um, <laughs> because my number four pick, which I, which again, uh, a steal, I got to believe at number four is, uh, is justice. I, I think justice for that to be there at number four, uh, great move for me. And, um, you know, I, I don't really, there's nothing really you need to say. I mean, this is what we're all hoping for is some level of justice, some level of, and this is in all walks of life. There's obviously, there's criminal justice, but we, we tend to think more along the lines of justice in I've lived a good life and, and it would be justice if I get X or it would be justice if if my children get to do this or it would be justice if if this is the life that we get to lead. Um, justice, I don't think there are many people who believe the world provides justice. Uh, and obviously there are many, many people who are living in, in terrible, terrible circumstances through no fault of their own. And, uh, but I think that's what we're always shooting for. You, you know, I, to me, it's almost like that's, you, you talked about the meaning of life in this abstract form. I don't know, you know, justice is many different things to many different people, but in some ways I kind of feel like that's where we hope everything evolves. And we hope it evolves to this level where there's kind of justice, you know, that's the end justice for all very, very strong and an excellent, excellent Al Pacino movie. <laughs> so, so yeah. I'm going with justice. at number Well, five. the reason I, justice is great. I had justice at number five. Yeah. And the reason justice is so great is because when you see justice uh, be done, it's so satisfying. Like yeah. when you see something that should happen and hasn't happened for some reason, it's you, you were like that. Oh, thank God. Like that's, you have, it's such a sense of relief when you can sense those scales sort of tipping back to even. And that, you know, that sort of universal feeling, I think when you, when you, when something that is a wrong becomes a right is overwhelmingly gratifying and satisfying to watch, which yeah. must mean it's a big, it's a big idea. Yeah. And, it, and it's, and it's something again, that, that different people have different things. I mean, there's justice of somebody who was an innocent person, getting released from prison, for instance, there you right. feel like there's this level of justice, but wasn't really like the whole Batman thing in San Francisco. I mean, it's just like, you know how that touched everybody, the kid getting to, to be Batman and the whole city kind of building this beautiful play area for him and, 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 and creating this for him that he didn't do anything wrong. It's not like there's any, there's any justice in the sense of this. It's just, here's a kid who, who was Delta, uh, you know, a, a terrible hand in, in so many ways and, and is fighting this, this, this horrible, horrible thing. And, and everybody just wanted to give him this, you know, and that to me is, I mean, it's, it's charity and it's, and it's, it's beauty and it's all these other things, but it's also justice. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, it's a great, it's a great pick. It's a great abstract concept. Uh, <laughs> that right. Your, your draft has really come up. You're saying humor was just a terrible pick at number I, one. Don't I you? think humor was a reach. I think you could have had humor at five. Even I don't. I didn't have humor in my top five. I wow. think you've gotten it much later. But for my fifth pick, because justice is off the board, I'm going with a little bit of a. It's like a, a little bit of a project, you know, for the draft. Like I'm going to have to develop this pick. You know, do a lot of tutelage and stuff to get it up to you know to to pro standards. But I'm going with infinity. Uh, my son is obsessed with infinity right now, which is adorable. He's five and he, he, you know, he's going through what, and I remember going through this of saying, you know, what's the biggest number. And then he hears the, he learned about infinity and, but he thinks it's a number. So he get he starts counting infinity and in one infinity and two infinity and in three, which is delightful. And it's, it's one of those, and it's one of those ideas like you find out about very early on but you can't ever understand it. Like you'll never understand it. No one will ever understand it. It's like the size of the universe 
it's infinite, but it's also expanding. That's great. It's great. It's a fundamental concept in math. Like mathematics didn't really take off until the concept of infinity was sort of developed. It's also great for like staring up into the sky at night and just thinking about where you are in the universe. David Foster Wallace wrote a whole book on it. Like it's just a great, it's a great idea in a large number of disciplines in math and physics and, and uh, uh, you know, astrophysics and in, and just in your daily life, just thinking about the concept of infinity is endlessly enjoyable and entertaining. It's such a that's such a strong pick because it's because <laughs> it's so off the board. Yeah, and and yet it is. Who? How did somebody come up with the concept of infinity? Or or is the harder question how did they not come up with it earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know which one is right because I mean it's either it took like some incredible super genius. Uh, or, or obviously a group of super geniuses to kind of come up with this whole idea of just this this endless uh, endless line of numbers. Um, but then on the other hand, it's like, well, why did, did they think numbers stopped before that? I mean, it, it's it doesn't. I, I don't really know. Um, I don't really know. You know how that that could be, but uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, like, it's a, it's a great concept. It goes back to. It, I mean, it's it goes way back. If I remember from the Wallace book, it goes way back to you know, like the early Greeks and I think the Indian too, Indian mathematicians too, who like, I, I, I could be wrong about this and I apologize. I feel like it's uh, Anaximander was the, was the pre-Socratic guy. Uh, and, and he had, a, he was the first person, I think, in, at least in the West to come up with this idea that there was a, there was something that could be limitless. Um, and, and it's so, so it's like basically at the, in that moment when like all of like modern thought was being uh, developed and formed, it was like one of the first things that was written down. It was like, Oh, maybe there's something that goes on forever. <laughs> and now it's such a fundamental part of, of everything, of every discipline, you know, wouldn't it be cool to come up with just a concept like that? Just come up with yeah. one concept and just go, that's it. That's all I got. I you just, it's super famous. If you, <laughs> if you come up with a concept like infinity, you're, you're done. You can retire. Although I could not have named who came up with infinity, which is, I'm, just... I'm now I'm sure I'm wrong, but I, I, <laughs> I hope, uh, I hope I'm right. It would be awesome if I were right. Okay. I was going to go with something really quirky with my number five pick. I was going to go with, um, uh, the NFL catch. I was going to go with that as the abstract concept. <laughs> That's great. Don't back off that. That's can they great. can they fix that? By the way, is there any way they can fix that? The fact that the NFL catch is like nobody knows what it is. Can they? Is there any way to fix that? The best abstract concept to me in that area is the football move. That's my favorite one. That you have to make a football move. Like that's a quantifiable thing. It's a football right there. Yeah. The great thing is that when they just go back and they play it back and forth and back and forth and back. And forth, you, Really, I mean, it's football. I, I mean, did they really think at any point that that it was going to come down? And this is what concerns me, by the way. This is the slippery slope that concerns me about baseball going to to uh, instant replay. Is I want them to get the calls right, but I don't want them to start like breaking the game down into some like minuscule points where you're having like two philosophers up in the booth arguing about whether or not. You know, if, if that constitutes a toe being on the bag or something, I mean, right? Well, it's like what's the the baseball equivalent is like what's a catch in a glove? Is it the moment the ball hits the in the palm of the glove, or is it the moment the glove closes around the ball? Right? You no, know, like it's going to be impossible. Yeah, it will be impossible. It will it will be impossible if if they take it that far, which I sure hope they don't. But it's it's become it's become absolutely ridiculous at this point. Um, I'm going to go with something even goofier as my actual number five pick. Um, it's it's a it's a uh, concept. It's a sports concept to a degree, and I heard it described. Roy Williams, the basketball coach of North Carolina, uses this concept all the time. And the abstract concept is uh, want to, want to. That is the abstract concept. Uh, I don't even know what it means. I mean, in like in, in the words themselves, but it refers apparently to some inner drive that people have in order to succeed uh, at whatever they're doing. Want to. It could be grittiness, I guess, would be another... uh, Desire, maybe? Have a desire. Could be desire, but I like want to better because, first of all, it's it's very very Southern, so I like that. I like that concept. Um, 
Plus, it sounds it's it's more direct to the point. It's almost like it's like there are certain words that can't be translated. I, I kind of see "want to" as like something that cannot be translated exactly. But right. it is a, a it's a little bit of desire, but it's also a little bit of this ability that you have developed over time. It's like this this combination of ambition and wanting to succeed, but also the amount of effort you've actually put into succeeding. The the actual hours of practice and the and the and the, the study and, and all of that sort of thing. It is it is the concept that literally if you if you took the entire concept away, if it was gone, there would literally be no announcing on television. Like <laughs> literally every minute of announcing on television would be, and he went to the 35, second down. That'd be it. There'd be no there'd be no color commentary. None. Right, because right. it's it's a constant. Oh, you know the, the 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 drive that he had to pick up the extra yard, and all oh, the effort he gave to to get to the to the to the quarterback. Oh, the 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 effort that he made to throw strike three. I mean, it's just right. there is it's and it is totally abstract. I mean, it is absolutely they don't know they don't know how hard that guy was working. They don't really. He looked like he was working hard, but it's like there's something about athletics that we want to build it up into something and i and i'm guilty of this as anybody because it's more fun this way we want to build it up into something that is so much larger than the games themselves and uh and so that's my abstract concept it's sort of like if you like if you took like michael jordan in his prime and reduced him like you were making a balsamic reduction. <laughs> oh, Michael like, Jordan. You, you burn off everything about Michael Jordan except for, like, his barest essence. Okay. What you'd be left with in the pan is want to. Want to. Yeah, and he's, he's a North Carolina guy. So, yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a, good, that's a good fit. Is, is, does it exist? Does want to exist? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, there's clearly people who have, who have the, the same level of natural ability and the same kind of like, you know, uh, naturally given gifts and talents and, and musculature. And then some of those people have a little extra thing where they just kind of want it more or whatever you want to say. So I think I, 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 I get it. I know what that is. It's like that thing that like it make it's the thing that like made, you know, Dustin Pedroia not listen to people when they said he was too short and just yeah. playing and working and, and grinding it out and everything. So. Well, I, I I thought about that concept a lot. I mean, I I think of it as beyond sports. I mean, I think of it. There are probably people in your field that you can think of. I can think of people in my field who who have all of the talent in the world, but there is something something just a little bit missing. And sure. it's hard. It's it's abstract, and and it's tough to deal with. But I think all the time about um, athletes who overcome odds, and we tell the story of them over and over and over again to the point where you just get entirely sick of hearing the same story again and again and again. But if a guy is working in a high V and three years later, he's like the Super Bowl quarterback. How many people through the years have told that guy, stop doing this. Just, just it's over. Just you're, yeah. you're, you're never going to do that. You're wasting your time. You're crazy. You're, you're just, it's a complete, there has to be something. What is it that would drive that person to then continue on Despite the fact that not not just like people that don't like him, his friends, his family, they're all worried about him. They think he's insane, but you somehow he keeps going. I don't know what that is. Well, what were the other? Uh, the, I'll just run down quickly my other my my uh, runner ups. If this draft were longer than five rounds, okay. I had I had justice on the board, but I had luck, luck, empathy, Ooh. Pa- passion, uh, and purpose purpose i had reason i think reason is there there's reason and purpose to be similar uh, yeah. i had i had innocence which really really i was close to that's picking good, with that fifth pick yeah. yeah that's gonna be a supplemental pick for sure yeah i think so he's he's already been invited to camp i think <laughs> at this point he's an uh, undrafted free agent i had sadness i could not come around on whether or not sadness is an actual um it's more of an emotion i couldn't tell yeah. but there is a greater thing to sadness is that an abstract concept uh well yeah like uh i think i think that would have i think the the judges would have ruled in your favor on that one yeah peace how did we not how did nobody choose peace well it's interesting peace is good turns out there's a lot of good abstract concepts (laughs) 
That's a strong draft this year. It was a strong draft this year. You know, you you never know. In a really long time, I think, for abstract concepts. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, like, last year, like, number one was manhood. I mean, that was just, like, the number one overall pick. And so, clearly, we're in a better year. We're in a better season. (laughs) Well, this was great, as as always. And, uh, by the way, this is, this is, we've said this a million times before, but nobody listened to this one. I mean, literally, nobody got this far. Yeah, it would be hard to find a more effective way to drive people away from something <laughs> than what we just did. Honestly, what what could we have drafted that people would have like said, "Oh no, that makes less sense." Than I, I think did. if we had drafted random numbers, <laughs> like if your if your first pick was thirty eight and my first pick was fifty or what? Yeah, like maybe that would have been more boring. No, because we would have we would have started connecting them to like actual like player uniforms or something. So we would have like figured <laughs> yeah. out a way to do it. You're right. This might have been the most boring thing we've done. <laughs> well, this was fantastic as always. Um, thank you. Now, are you, by the way, well, really quickly, are you back on Twitter? I am back on Twitter. Yeah, I took a little break. I took like a, a three month break, and now I'm back. Okay, so at Ken Tremendous yep. uh, is your is your is your thing, and I am at Jay Poznanski. So love to hear from you. Thanks uh, again, and uh, have a great day. <laughs>